right, threes and fours, you're dismissed to your class. Thank you for worshiping with us. If you've got your Bibles, let me invite you to open with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 3. Proverbs, chapter 3. We have been journeying through the book of Proverbs for uh, a few months now. We started in January. And by God's grace, we're, we're picking up pace, and our aim this morning uh, is to finish chapter 3, to work through all of chapter 3. Now, recognize that uh, in, in preaching this way, in preaching massive chunks, um, uh, you, you're going to miss a lot, uh, but our aim is in a book that repeats itself a lot, in a book that cyclically hits similar themes, we want to see those repeated themes, but then we also just want to see nuances. What, what is the author adding to our understanding of what wisdom is and how it is that we pursue the wisdom of God. In the book of Proverbs, it's a poetic type of book, and you hear different voices throughout the book. We heard Lady Wisdom a few weeks ago. (coughs) We have heard several times the voice of a loving father. That's the voice that we hear again this morning. The voice of a father training up his son to be a man of God. And in that voice, we hear the way that God speaks to us. We hear God's own voice to us as children. And in that voice, we have a model of how we should be speaking into the lives of our children and into the lives of one another. So as I read this chapter here, all of chapter 3, I want you to listen for the voice of God speaking to you like a father speaking to his child. And I want you to listen for God's message that he would have you speak to others, that he would like to speak through you to others. So let's look at Proverbs 3, verse 1. My son... Do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord. With all your heart, do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. 
Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver. Her profit better than gold. She's more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul an adornment for your neck. Then you'll walk on your way securely. Your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you won't be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those to whom it's due when it's in your power to do it. Don't say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow, I will give it. Then you, when you have it with you, do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he's done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. Let's pray. <clears throat> Help us to understand what it is that you speak through this inspired text for us to hear and understand. Work the miracle of speech, work the miracle of hearing, and God, apply your commandments to our hearts, we pray, by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> There's a lot. <laughs> the first thing I want you to notice in this chapter, as the Father speaks to the Son, is how closely tied the Father's instruction is to the Word of God as is taught in the first five books of the Bible. So look at verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. You know, in the Hebrew language, when, you, when he uses this word teaching, he's actually using the word Torah or Torah, the 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 word that they used to describe the first five books of the Bible. And so if you're a Hebrew reader and you're reading this, you're, you're recognizing or something's happening in your brain. When he says, keep my teaching, Torah, there's an allusion or at least a pointer to the Torah, the instruction that God has given to his people. But the parallels don't stop with just the use of that word. The Father, throughout the entire proverb, Throughout all of the Proverbs, the author is quoting the language of the Torah and explaining the implications of what God has already said, particularly in the book of Deuteronomy. So check out the parallels. See if you can, you can hear it. So Proverbs chapter 3, verse 2 and 4. The father's telling his son about the value of the instruction here. 
He says, for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not the steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you'll find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Now listen to Deuteronomy, the way that it talks about the instruction of God. You shall, uh, Deuteronomy 5.33, you shall walk in the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. And again in chapter 6, verse 6, he says, and these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of the house and on your gates. The father is obeying Deuteronomy 6 by teaching it to the son, <laughs> and the father is quoting the language of Deuteronomy 5 and 6 about how his son should treasure the words of God, the law of God, the commandments of God. The author is applying the words of Deuteronomy while he is referencing the words of Deuteronomy over and over again. Do not forget these commandments, he urges, which is the message of Deuteronomy. The message of Deuteronomy is do not forget what God has said. And this leads us to the first truth, the first thing that the father's emphasizing to his son in this particular chapter, God's word should be memorized and internalized. He is preparing his son for a hostile world and many temptations to come, and the father wants to emphasize the sufficiency of the instruction of God. The necessity of committing God's instruction, not just to the mind, but to the heart. He says, don't forget the teaching. In other words, beat it into your brain. <laughs> Memorize what you know to be true and write them on the tablet of your heart. In other words, eternalize the words I'm teaching you, which are the words from God, and make them a part of who you are. Don't just obey these commands in an external way until you get out of my house and get on your own. No, cultivate these things at an internal heart level. The wisest people that I know in any given situation do not just know some principles related to Christianity. They know the teaching of the Bible so well, it's as if it's written on their hearts. Has anybody ever met somebody that if you were to prick them, they would bleed Scripture? It's as if even in, in conversation, they, they think with the vocabulary and the terminology of inspired words of God that they've meditated day and night on their entire lives. Have you ever talked with somebody that can just, from, from memory, without preparation, apply a scripture to your particular situation and, and it be exactly what was necessary for you to, to see what is wise and what is foolish. They're like trees planted by streams of water, right? Immovable when the strongest storm comes, according to Psalm chapter 1, because they've delighted in the law of the Lord day and night. I heard an analogy this week by a pastor. He said, your life is like a person drinking from a full cup. If you bump into that person, whatever spills out of the cup is what was in the cup. 
And he, then he asked the pastors in the room, when you get bumped by the stress and the hardship and the difficulty of life, what spills out? What have you been sipping on? It's the truth of Scripture that you've committed to memory and spent years writing on your heart that spills out when you get bumped by this life, or it's something else that spills out. This is one of the primary differences between a mature and wise Christian and an immature and unwise Christian. The primary difference is found in their understanding and appreciation for the sufficiency of what God has actually said, what God has spoken in His revealed Word. Do you understand God's instruction to be the primary authority in your life? Are you known to be the kind of person who can navigate the Bible well, the kind of man who can navigate the pages of God's revealed Word to you, or the kind of woman who can navigate the pages of God's revealed will to you. Now, it is true, undoubtedly it's true, that there are some more gifted than others at this. There are some that just makes you so mad they remember everything they read, right? Just, you just, they, they just, it just clicks with them. They can read something and understand it immediately. They can, they, can, they can then take what they've read and then put it and explain it to someone else so clearly. And for you, you feel like you're beating your head against something to try to memorize it. Now, that, that's just true of life. God has wired us in different ways. Some are more gifted in kindness and generosity. Some are more gifted in patience and mercy. But that doesn't mean we get to leave kindness and patience and mercy to those who are gifted in it, right? Well, I'm not really merciful, so I kind of hung that up a long time ago. <laughs> I'll leave that to the merciful people. No, 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 no. If we're not gifted in something, right, that means we just must pour ourselves into it all the more to strive for what God has called us to do. We strive for it. If reading is difficult for us, if we have bad memories and we're easily distracted, we don't use that as an excuse for ignoring God's Word. We use it as a reason for striving all the more to figure out how we can write the instruction of God on the tablets of our heart. It may require someone else who's called to preach. It might require them double the hours in preparation to stand up and preach a sermon. But, but if God has called them to that, then guess what they have to do? Put in double the hours. <laughs> and so, so, so let's, let's pour ourselves in to the Word of God that it might pour into us. Because, not because we need to earn God's approval, not because God is like the most ultimate Bible drill judge waiting to rank all of you based off of your understanding of theology, but because we know that the promise of knowing God's Word, having it memorized and internalized, is for our good, right? So this leads us to number two, big emphasis of this proverb Number two, God's word was given for our good. Anytime the Lord speaks to it into his creation, he's speaking for the good of those who will hear and rightly respond to his word. His words of instruction are a gift to his people, not a burden. 
While we do not believe that obedience to God's word in this life will secure a sorrowless life, we believe that there's a connection between obedience to what has been revealed and blessing. God's way is always the better way for us. Just listen to the constant emphasis of the Father. And we'll just, we'll just kind of roll here. Look at verse, verse 2. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Verse 4, you'll find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Verse 8, it will be healing to your flesh, refreshment to your bones. Verse 10, your barns will be filled with plenty, your vats bursting with wine. Verse 13, and he just rolls now, just saying, it's better to follow God's way. I mean, just all through, look at verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She's more precious than jewels. Nothing you can desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. Now, who's he, responding, who's he talking about to her? Not your girlfriend, right? He's talking about wisdom, right? Wisdom, whom the, the wisdom God has revealed in his word. Her ways are ways of pleasantness. All her paths are peace, verse 17. Verse 18, she is a tree of life to those who hold her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open. The clouds dropped down the dew. And he just keeps going on and on about the benefits of listening to the word of God. Notice that here, again, wisdom is described as the stuff which God created the world. By wisdom, the Lord founded the earth. We defined wisdom many weeks ago as this. What is wisdom? When, we're, when, we, when we talk about wisdom, what is it? Wisdom is living in God's world, God's way. And that way is the best way. And then notice the imagery of the tree of life. The tree of life. Wisdom is described as the tree of life to those who laid hold of her, those who hold her fast are called blessed. The author is taking you back and he's saying the choice that you have before you today is the same choice that Adam and Eve had before them years and years ago. God gave them a word to be believed and obeyed. Eat from the tree of life and find blessing and life. Eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and you will be cursed. This is the decision every day. A tree which leads to life or a tree which leads to death. The dichotomy is summarized in verses 33 through 35. You see it uh, in the structure of it. Every verse is set up as a contrast. Here are your options today, tomorrow. Verse 33, the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Verse 34, toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but the fool gets disgrace. Christian, we we have these promises in Scripture that When we are walking God's way, we have nothing to fear. We have these promises in Scripture of favor, honor, blessing, righteousness, eternal life, riches beyond our wildest imagination. And now as we've seen, the book of Job is supposed to be read in succession with the Proverbs. I mean, he was a wise man and he still suffers greatly. Similarly, in the Psalms, they often point to this predicament. It seems like the wicked people got it pretty good. And we're struggling here. The New Testament clarifies over and over again, though, that the fullness of these blessings promised 
are going to be experienced in the presence of God in eternity to come when Jesus returns and we see him face to face. The fullness of these blessings will one day all be actualized. We choose to obey God's word, not because it immediately relieves us of all of our hardships. The Bible doesn't teach us that when you look at the whole counsel of God's word. But we choose to obey because we believe that God's way is eternally worth it. Now, what we do get, though, we do get glimpses of heavenly promises even in the midst of earthly sorrows when we walk wise paths. Even in the deepest, darkest sorrows we face in this life, there are unique miracle blessings that only manifest themselves when we walk the wise path of listening to God's Word. Our church knows this, not just from the Scriptures, but we know this experientially, don't we? Our church has recently walked through some of the deepest sorrow. We have church members that have recently still are walking through the deepest sorrow imaginable, but much of this proverb is still proving true even in their lives. There has been a very real sense of the presence of God, of life in our souls, peace, humility, favor, security, blessedness that has been visible in this church, that has been vis visible in the Diarman family, after one of the deepest sorrows of their life, we have seen in some of the clearest ways the glory of a God who is with us and who has given us precious promises that bless us even in the midst of sorrow and that we look forward to their fulfillment on the day of glory. There's a sense in which the fullness of the blessings of wisdom will not be experienced until glory, but there's another sense in which the rewards of writing God's instruction on our hearts are tangible right here and right now. We have had front row seats, especially in the face of sorrow, suffering, and trial. Every word of Holy Scripture is for our good. In fact, especially when we, can, when we cannot see the positive effects of following God's Word, that's when we need to follow God's Word with the most determination. And I think that this is perhaps the most unique and most emphasized nuance in Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, are some of the most quoted verses, not just in Proverbs, but in the entire Bible. If you have ever hung out with Miss Millie Shinnevert, you have already heard Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Praise the Lord. There's something about these verses which, in short summary, encapsulate what it really means to be a child of God. This is what it means to become a Christian. It's what it means to live every day as a Christian. Proverbs 3, now look at verse 5. <clears throat> This is the additional layer of nuance that we've not seen in Proverbs thus far. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Truth number three. 
In all things, we trust God's word more than our wisdom. In all things, we trust God's word more than our wisdom. Now, this is the struggle. To become a Christian in the first place requires you to humble yourself before God. Admit that you do not have it all together. Admit that you cannot save yourself, that you cannot lead your own life down the path of life more abundant or life eternal. To become a Christian requires that you admit your own spiritual bankruptcy before the Lord, your own inability to save yourself, your own foolishness and sin that has caused a lot of stuff to happen in your life. It is, to become a Christian is to refuse to be wise in your own eyes anymore. To turn and trust the salvation that God offers. Christian people, they turn and trust the instruction God has given us. Christian people turn and trust the life leadership that God provides us. Jesus' call for you every day, but especially in the moment of decision whether you will become a Christian or not. His call is simple, right? Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself... Don't be wise in your own eyes anymore. And take up his cross daily and follow me. The message is, follow me. This is not intellectual assent to certain facts. This is not, hey, I'll pray that prayer after you if it means I don't have to go to hell and I'll go on and lead my life the way that I want to for the rest of my life. This is a denying of self and trusting in Jesus to be the only path to eternal life and the only leader worth having any say over the direction of your life. It's saying, I'm bankrupt spiritually. I've been doing a bad job leading my life. Jesus, you lead my life. I trust you. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him for the dead, you will be saved. The saving is not in the words that you say. The saving is in the heart which makes Jesus Lord in faith, right? It's the confession that he's leader and ruler of life, and I want him to be my Savior and Lord. The Proverbs summarize all this, and it's why we quote it so often. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. That's faith. Faith that distrusts yourself, and faith that trusts the Lord ultimately. That's the kind of faith that saves you. The faith that believes that Jesus lived a perfect life you couldn't live and died the sinner's death you deserve to die and rose again on the third day to say to you, trust me. (laughs) Believe in me for eternal life. It's what it takes to become a Christian, but man, it's what it takes to survive as a Christian. This is what it takes to be a Christian every day. Every day there's a war between your own wisdom, and the wisdom of God. There's a war to stop trusting your own intuition, your own reasoning, your own decision-making abilities. To be a Christian is to put our lives on the table and to say to God, not my will, but your will be done. Now this text, this Proverbs 3, it's, it's very often quoted. It's very often quoted, especially when unexplainable things happen in your life. For example, you lose the job or 
there's some sort of situation happening in your life that's very bad and you don't know what's going on, you'll often hear someone then quote to you, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not all on your own understanding. And, and what they mean by that is like, oh, just trust God and it's all going to work out the way that you want it to work out. You just can't see it yet. And I, and I don't know that that's exactly the, the scenario of this verse. It's a fine application to take this verse and to speak to somebody when, when they are uh, suffering or there's a difficulty. Trust in the Lord, lean not in your understanding. But, but the scenario envisioned in this verse is more about you trusting God's commandment even when it feels like obedience to that commandment is not going to bring the desired result. <laughs> the verse is about obedience to God's instruction even when it feels like obedience isn't profitable. It's about obeying when obedience, obedience seems costly. It's about casting off your temptation to trust yourself, to trust the counsel of Scripture, though the rest of the world might say, that's crazy. This is about elevating your view of God so much that you say, if He has said, this is what I should do or not to do, even if I don't get it, I will do it because He is God and I am not or I will not do it because he is God and I am not. Notice the comprehensive language. We are to acknowledge God in all our ways and he will make our paths straight. So Christian, what do we do? We, we look to God for where we should live, for what job we should work, for what church we should serve, for whom we should marry, for how we should spend these very short lives that we have to spend. We look to him and his word, and he makes our paths straight, perhaps not straight in the direction we wanted or even could have imagined, but straight according to the sovereign plan of God to glorify himself through us. He makes our paths straight. I look back at my life over the last seven to ten years, and I would describe it as anything but straight. <laughs> but according to the will of God, I think that the last seven to ten years, to my best of my ability, putting everything on the table as much as I possibly can, I think, I think through the craziness that I'm standing where I'm supposed to be standing this morning. Can you say the same? Can you say the same, that there's been a spirit over the last ten years of your life of constantly putting it all on the table, that the Lord might lead and direct and guide according to the scriptures? Or have, has it, the last 10 years been a result more of your own wisdom and trusting your own wisdom over and over and over again? We can keep it in general, uh, just trust God in all things, uh, but chapter 3 doesn't keep it in general. It, it provides at least three examples sort of sprinkled throughout the chapter uh, areas of life where we're meant to trust God and His instruction. Uh, we'll, we'll cover these in, in detail later on in our study, but, but it's helpful just to see it before us here. So, so you can think of these as sort of like three little mini subpoints under that, that third truth, all things we trust God with. One of the things we see in there, just a brief little snapshot of an example, firstly, we, we trust God with our finances. I mean, look at verse 9. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. If you, if you want to assess where your trust is, assess your relationship with money. 
If you want to assess where, where your trust is, assess your relationship with money. I mean, from the earliest days of the people of God, God instructed people to give their first fruits of the produce, and he did that because it was a nerve-wracking act of obedience. In a world without 401ks and insurance and all the, the plans for your future, in a world where you didn't know when famine was going to strike or natural disaster or, or an army come through and take, take your crops out, right? You giving the first fruits of your crops was saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you to provide for my needs and that the next round of crops is actually going to come. <laughs> I mean, what if you give the first fruits of the harvest and then something wipes out the crops? You have nothing left. You have nothing to eat. You have nothing to provide for your family. And I think that's the point. The point of God instructing the people of God to give away the first fruits for the worship and mission of God it was an act of worship because it was an act of, of proclaiming your confidence in the one who will provide your actual needs. Trust God, and he will provide the needs for his children. Proverbs says that God will bless your generosity more than your self-sufficiency and man-made wisdom. Verse 10 says, your barns will be filled with plenty, your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, we're hesitant to interpret this verse because of false teachers down the street uh, who will take this verse and make it to mean, uh, give to my church, and you'll be healthy and wealthy forever. So we're hesitant to even talk about that God will provide for you in your generosity. Pro uh, Prosperity TV preachers love to pluck this from the scriptures, but never address the apostles who ended their life with no wealth as martyrs. <laughs> never to address Christ, who's called us to give it all. For Proverbs 10 our Proverbs chapter 3, verse 10 is often seen as a formula for greedy people to get the material things they already wanted more than God. That is not what Proverbs 3 is, reading it in the fullness of Scripture. Rather, it's a promise. Your sacrifice will be worth it. Your, your, your obedience to God will be worth it. In this case, your financial sacrifice will be worth it. Now, you'll be taken care of, but eternally, you'll be more than taken care of. It's the best investment strategy in the world with eternal blessing to come. What's your, what's your relationship with money? Is it, is it an, an eternal relationship? Like, is it an understanding of money in light of eternity? Is it a tool to glorify God first and foremost, or is it an asset that you build around yourself to be more and more comfortable in a safety net? Now, we'll talk about this more in the coming days, but for now, Proverbs challenges, challenges you to think of even how you spend money to be in the realm of the all things we trust the Lord with, right? Honor the Lord with your wealth. Secondly, secondly, we trust God with our sanctification. Look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son, in whom he delights. So, though Proverbs speaks a lot about the blessings that follow a path of wisdom, the Proverbs also speak about discipline and reproof that keeps you on the path. The Lord is portrayed as an active mover in your own sanctification, 
that the Lord brings things into your life that reprove you, correct you, and even discipline you. He shapes you through very real, tangible things in life. He shapes you through the confrontation of a Christian brother or sister. He reproves you in your independence and your pride and your stubbornness, your refusal to listen to counsel, your sinful ambitions with the Word of God, either read or heard. God will overwhelm you with stressful situations to expose your misplaced affections. He is active in many of the bumps and bruises along the path of life because He delights in you. Because, according to this verse, He loves you, so He sanctifies you. If I did not love my children, I would never discipline them. I would just occupy them so that I could do my own thing. Or I would spoil them so much that I could live vicariously through them and get all the affirmation from them that I wanted. But it would ultimately be about serving me, not loving them. I discipline my children because I love them. I do not enjoy it. Lord, (laughs) help me. The Christian God loves you So he does discipline you. He aims to shape you. Our culture is a risk-averse. Our culture is confrontation-averse, unless you can do it hiding behind a screen. Our culture hates being uncomfortable or told what we cannot or cannot do. But because God loves us and he wants more from us and more for us, he doesn't just leave us to comfortably coast to heaven. He disciplines us, reproves us, and takes us through the refiner's fire of trials and tribulation. And we trust God in this too. We trust God in all things, even the difficult things, because we believe there's a sovereign hand guiding this for our good and for our glory. You ever think that your hard day at work or your hard week or your hard season was actually for your good? I mean, that's, that's the way 1 Peter chapter 1 describes our various trials. It describes it as a refiner's fire where God is bringing out of us what is good and burning away from us what is bad. We live in a culture, especially among the younger generation, where we think we must avoid hard things at all cost. And that if we've experienced a hard thing that day or that week, then somehow something's wrong in my life. Or maybe something's good in your life. Because God is actively shaping you through the hard, disciplining, reproving. Lastly, uh, we trust God with our relationships. Verses 27 through 32 speak to the kind of community that is built when individuals in that community trust the Lord and His wisdom. Verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it's due, when it's in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again, tomorrow I'll give it, when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason, when he's done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. The devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are his confidence. This description highlights several things for a group of people who are wise and have the the word written in their heart. It emphasizes generosity with one another. 
says, when it's in your power to do good for your neighbor, do good. Don't delay. Be generous with your time or your talents or your treasures to bless the person beside you. Trust in one another that each desires the ultimate good of the other. The author highlights the importance of trust in a community of relationships, of the ability to dwell securely by someone else's side, knowing that they have your best interest at mind as well. To trust God with our relationships is also to dwell trustingly beside another, assuming the best of my neighbor and making sure that I have their best interest in mind as well. And then the, the passage goes on to, to, to emphasize peace with one another. The author urges you, don't contend with someone for no reason. <laughs> don't, don't fight when there's no reason to fight, because we trust the Lord. We should not feel the need to contend or fight with someone else when there's no need. The most quarrelsome and relationally difficult people are normally the most insecure people. People not trusting God, people who feel that they must fight and claw their way to a socially acceptable position to get the affirmation they think that they need. And this proverb is telling you to chill out. (laughs) Chill out. Don't contend with man for no reason. Dwell securely, trustingly, in such a way where they don't assume the worst of you and you don't assume the worst of them. Listen to how one commentator Uh, comments on this particular section. He says, when neighbors become threats to one another, we can say with accuracy and regret, there goes the neighborhood. Quarreling can be as upsetting as plotting harm. Groundless arguments and petty disputes are the height of selfishness. They spring from a lack of generosity. The picky and petulant person knows no compromise and refuses to grant the neighbor the benefit of the doubt. Every misgiving or misunderstanding becomes the reason for criticism or conflict. Part of neighborliness is the willingness to be wrong, the ability to bite one's tongue when we think we're right. Few issues in life are worth breaking relationships to prove our correctness. This is part of trusting God with all things. Our trust in God frees us to be slower to be offended, slower to be envious, quicker to give the benefit of the doubt. We become the kind of neighbor who dwells beside someone trustingly, not just because we trust them to be awesome, but because we trust the Lord. So therefore, we can trust the Lord to work it out, even if they don't have the best intentions. Trusting the Lord makes us a more trustworthy member of the community. You see how trusting God in all things actually affects all things for our good and the good of one another. So let's recap. Here they are. Truth number one was we should be, we should, uh, God's, not would, it, it should be God's word. There's a typo there. God's word should be memorized and internalized. Truth two, God's word was given for our good. Truth three, in all things, we trust God's word more than our wisdom. Now, I want to conclude with two takeaways that feel very odd and unrelated at first. Uh, Based off of our prayer time earlier, here are the two takeaways from Proverbs chapter three, and you're going to be like, what? Here are the two takeaways. Number one, join the life of the church. Number two, join the mission of church planting. Now, I didn't see either of those words in Proverbs chapter 3. How is that the application to all of this? Well, well, let's remember what Proverbs is doing. Proverbs is 
painting for us a picture of what it looks like to flourish as a citizen of the kingdom of God. This is what it looks like to be blessed as you walk in wisdom with one another as everyone's trusting God together. That's what Proverbs is praying. Proverbs, King Solomon is training the next person to rule and reign in the kingdom of God. Well, where do we see the kingdom of God in part now on earth that as we see it in the Proverbs? Where, where's our best shot at seeing snapshots of this type of wisdom lived out in community? It's in the life of the local church. I mean, when Jesus shows up and he starts proclaiming the kingdom of God is here and he gives the command to the disciples to be full of the Spirit and to, 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 to lead other people to follow Jesus and to start these things called churches, they're referred to as like kingdom of God outposts. So if you want to see what the flourishing human life looks like or should be strived after, go to the church. They're messed up people, but they know where to go to find the answers, Right? They, they, they're, they're really screwy, they're sinful people, but they actually have the source of all wisdom and authority, and they're doing the best they can to abide by it. What, what Proverbs is saying, this is what human flourishing looks like. What the church does is saying, Jesus saved us because we screw that up all the time, <laughs> and he's given a pathway forward. Churches are these little microcosms, these little foretastes, these little foreshadowings of what kingdom of God will look like in all of eternity. We sin against one another now, and we show one another the love and forgiveness of Christ. One day, we just won't have the sinning against one another part anymore, <laughs> So how do, we, how, do we, how do we model this for the world to see? How do we become kingdom outposts for what the kingdom of God will one day look like? Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that local churches are households of God and that they, they are a pillar and buttress of truth for the world to see. How will the world ever know what the word of God is that they should be internalizing and memorizing for their good and for God's glory unless the people of God who have the word model it for them and take it to them. We are God's plan to expand this type of wisdom to a world that desperately needs it right now. Join the life of the church. Become the kind of person who memorizes and internalizes God's word, not by yourself, but together. And this is why we do membership classes and small groups and training tracks at 8.30 in the morning on Sundays and prayer gatherings. And this is why we do covenant discipleship relationships with each other. Our aim is to help one another do Proverbs 3.5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. That is not something that comes naturally to you. And what you need are good friends. Good friends, not just acquaintances, but people who are committed to you, and you're committed to them, who will look you in the eye and say, do not lean on your own understanding here. You trust what God has said. May God do it over and over and over again in this church and beyond. Let's pray and respond to the word. Lord, we thank you for Proverbs chapter 3. Thank you for your grace and just understanding some of the aspects of this chapter. We know there are many things 
Um, we could spend many more weeks just on this one chapter, but Father, we thank you for the grace you've given us just to understand some aspects of it, and we pray for the grace to apply it to our lives. Help us now in this moment. Uh, in our first song, may we just practice the discipline of putting it all on the table before you, saying, not my will that be done, but yours, O Lord, in all things. And then, Father, may we just celebrate that reality with our second song as we sing that it's on a solid rock we stand, that all other ground is sinking sand. We pray, help us to worship now. In Jesus' name, amen.